Literally Just Filler with Caleb and Rachel. Hello, 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 and welcome to Literally Just Filler. My name is Caleb, doing a bit of a solo act today as none other than my special uh, partner in crime, Rachel, is a bit too preoccupied this week to actually join me. So what I'll be doing is just doing a a bit of a usual, going over some of the news, as well as focusing on our major topic for the day, which I hope that you enjoy. Personally, I uh, loved researching it. It is one of those really, really weird, creepy type of things that um, a lot of people are kind of aware of and a lot of people are afraid of. Uh, But until we get to that point, let's get straight to the news. Usually, okay, so so before we go on, going forward from after this episode, there's going to be a bit of a jingle, a bit of a music package that we're going to be including onto the episode from now on, going to the news. But I'm lazy. What can I say? What am I going to do? I'm I'm me. Uh, So yes, let's get straight into the news itself. First up is none other than video game news. I think uh, I'm one of those people that likes playing games. Who doesn't? It's the 20th 21st century, I believe. I hope. I'm terrible with these type of things. All right, first up, we're going to look at um, something that's near and dear to my heart. I was not one of the naysayers because I didn't believe the hype. I'm not one of those people that actually sits there on um, hands and knees anticipating the next big release. And I don't like pre-ordering, I say, as I've literally just spent money on Elden Ring. But (laughs) it's not out yet. I'm very excited. Anyway... Let's go straight into this. It's Cyberpunk 2077. I adore this game. I think it's uh, it, was, it was quite fascinating because since I didn't follow any of the information, I just bought it on a whim and uh, really, really enjoyed my time with it. And it's receiving its first substantial patch, version 1.5. What happens in this patch is it includes a better performance for current-gen consoles, balance fixing, which I think is incredibly important for that game. You can just steamroll through it if you have the, even the right stuff. Just randomly pick certain things and there's no issues. Uh, of course, there's also a litany of bug fixes such as AI and vehicle changes and added new content, including new apartments you can rent uh, in the game and weapons. Um, so yes, uh, I think I'm excited for this. I'm, I'm not going to play it, of course. I only just finished it last year. And it's been a year, one whole year since uh, the game has been released. It was in November 2020. And um, tell you what, it's good to see that they're actually pulling uh, out their promises and fixing it. And who knows what will happen in the future. The main question is, is this going to be a No Man's Sky issue where the hype killed the game initially, got rid of the worst reviews ever, and then uh, is it going to pull an about face and blow us away with DLC, free DLC, and who knows what. Uh, I'm very excited for it. You know what? The biggest problem I have with No Man's Sky, there's too much now. I really enjoyed No Man's Sky when it came out too. No hype for that game. Um, And it was really fun. I enjoyed for what it was. A simple indie type of game. (laughs) But trying to go back to it very recently, it was tough. That game is just... It's it's overwhelming uh, with with what you can do, and I don't like base building. It's just not my thing, so I don't know. Uh, Speaking of No Man's Sky, guess what? Uh, For the next piece of gaming news, Sean Murray has said that No Man's Sky 
isn't finished by a long shot. Uh, they've just released Update 19, the Sentinel update, and the director of the game says, <clears throat> As many updates as, we, as we've done since launch, and as many bucket list items we've checked off, our list of things we're excited about never seems to get any shorter. The team are always coming up with new things that they want to do with the game, new content and features and areas for improvement. I'm amazed that the energy levels are as high as they are now as they've ever been. We tend not to talk about what's on the list publicly, but suffice to say, we're not done yet by a long shot. Literally just said, you know, that uh, <laughs> the game is suffering from content uh, excess. It is getting to the point where it's becoming one of them Assassin's Creed games, where it is too much too fast uh, and as someone who vaguely interestedly wanted to experience it again I felt way too overwhelmed uh, but who knows we'll find out in the future to move on to comic news now so as I've mentioned earlier speaking of Elden Ring which had um, uh, George R.R. R. Martin teaming up with um, From Software to make the story and background of the game it's one of those things where you can tell he was just hired for the name alone. He left some notes and they built everything off that, basically. Uh, so it's pretty much their own original thing. But uh, even though he'll never finish that last book, that's right, uh, book fans of Game of Thrones, that book, I feel, is never coming out. Um, he's teaming up with Marvel for a new comic book series. So the Game of, writer th uh, Game of Thrones writer said working with, the Mar uh, with Marvel was a privilege and brought him no end of joy, or in his case, no end of money. The comics will be based on the superhero anthology series Wild Cards, which was masterminded and edited by Martin. and tells the story of an alternate history where Earth is home to super-powered individuals and spans more than 25 novels and 20 short stories, and in truth is his original baby. <clears throat> Why I'm a bit interested in this, truthfully, George R. R. Martin, he's a good author, legitimately. His writing style is unique uh, and very prose-heavy. But there is an issue with uh, too much content. And let's face facts, the last book that he wrote for the Game of Thrones, I can't remember the name, wasn't that great. There's a lot of stuff that's really stupid, like um, the, the pirate captain... <laughs> that's got black tongue and lips and cast magic that was the dumbest story i really didn't like it and it was even worse in the tv series so great but who knows maybe this will be a good thing for a lot of people out there all right next up on the comic book news is ghost rider it's getting a reboot again that's right a ghost rider is one of my original favorite comics from back in the day back in the 90s when i was a kid I, uh, I ride a motorbike now, so, you know, kind of relate to Johnny Blaze, you might say. I carry chains everywhere, wear a leather jacket, and when I'm on fire, thanks to petrol, I tend to have a flaming skull as well. But Johnny Blaze is going back to basics. He's been the king of hell, um, lost his parents and his own children, and is the spirit of justice. That's what he turns into in the whole Ghost Rider uh, enigma that he is. But for the new, newly released Ghost Rider number one, Johnny has the perfect life, a wife and two kids, a job at an auto repair shop and a small town community that supports him. This is actually words from the writers. However, 
Johnny also has a large scar on his head, which hints at a backstory, and he no longer has control over the spirit of vengeance. And when possessed, he has no memory of what's transpired. What does this mean? It means that he goes nuts. He goes berserker mode. It's a way to, I don't know, do interesting story beats, I suppose, where he's woken up in a, as a bloody mess. Um, uh, it's stuff we've seen before in a lot of other media, so who knows? Maybe it'll uh, turn out good. Truthfully, Ghost Rider needs a better story. Ghost Rider needs something exciting to happen and good writers. It's been such a long time since... Um, <laughs> I like Ghost Rider as a character and as a design. Uh, as a story in the comics itself, not that great. They're very humdrum, very basic type of uh, stories where... So we can always expect him to beat the bad guys with his chains and, you know, whip them into submission and send them back to hell. That's, that's how it usually goes. So something fresh, something new, maybe something like um, uh, that run of Animal Man, which dealt with body horror, or even the body horror stuff that uh, the Hulk dealt with recently, or anything body horror related, I'd be down for. Especially for freaking Ghost Rider, his face turns into a skull. I mean, that's pretty cool. All right, let's move into the movie news. And this is a bit more interesting, and I really do wish Rachel was here this week so I can point my finger at her and go, I told you so. Doctor Strange 2, the trailer came out, and as we uh, discussed last week, the big thing that was in it was hearing a certain voice from a certain Mr. Patrick Stewart. The You might recognize him as the neo-Nazi leader in Green Room, right? So, uh, yes, no, he's actually spoken up about it for his for the voice being used in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. In it, his voice is heard, and people got excited for the possibility of Professor X making a comeback. Uh, but he's actually come out and spoken about it in an interview to some online website, and uh, he says, You know, people have been imitating my voice ever since I came on the stage 60 years ago. So I can't be held responsible for that. So he's implying that another person out there is just using his voice, which I don't believe. He also stated he felt the character's end in the film Logan was a perfect send-off, considering what happens to that character. One of my favorite films, too, regardless of the superhero feeling of it. It's a genuinely good drama. Uh, But actors have DMAs against them. Uh, DMCA's, I believe, and uh, other things that are preventing them from speaking out, like um, certain Andrew Garfield, who denied his role for Spider-Man constantly leading up to the release of that film. So I believe this is literally the exact same thing, and we will find out together. Uh, you know, actors got to do these things so they can keep playing game and keep making money. It's how it works. Uh, yeah, he still has his show Picard, which I've heard only terrible things about. And, uh, well, he's still trying to stay relevant with the hip young kids, you might say. So he probably is in it. And, you know, after Disney bought out Fox, they've got all the rights to all those X-Men films and X-Men stories. So who knows what will happen in the future for that? We can only wait and see. Uh, Moving over to news that I adore. I'm a big fan of this uh, director and writer. And uh, it's John Carpenter. He's made uh, many, many films that everyone is aware of, such as Big Trouble in Little China, The Fog, uh, and of course, who could forget his other great movies like The Thing and Prince of Darkness. Uh, Of course, there's that little one that's getting popular again, Halloween. John Carpenter, in an interview, expressed interest in sequels for his previous works. Uh, And this is his own words here. 
Maybe the thing, maybe Prince of Darkness. I can see a little bit more of that, but we'll see. You never know in this business. You really don't. Uh, so Carpenter shared with the website Fandom in regards to past films he's been interested in reviving. Um, very, very curious, especially for a Thing sequel. It's one of my absolute favorite films of all time. I say that often, but I have favorites based on subjects and genres. So when I say this is one of my favorite, favorite films, I got posters in my room of this damn film. Right? I've seen it dozens of times. Uh, I'm not one of those weirdos that memorizes scripts, though. So if you do watch it with me in the future, I ain't gonna quote crap. Uh, so yes, he continued on. I just think there's another bit of the story to tell for the thing, which I'm not going to tell you about. But there have been some discussions about the film and what we could do because, as far as we know, both those two main characters, which is of course Keith David playing Childs and Macready with uh, Kurt Russell there, are still alive. They were alive at the end of the thing, so maybe they're still alive. Which is a bit weird, personally. I have watched all the movies, and I've played the games. Never read any of the comics, because, you know, I've got better things to do. The game of The Thing, released in the PS2 back in the mid to early 2000s, continues the story of The Thing. It comes up with the idea of what happened after the fact, when they're both lift out in the snow, and literally, Childs is dead in that story. And that as far as everyone was concerned, because he was directly involved in it. This was the direct continuation of the thing storyline. Um, I've got a friend of mine who says that the game was terrible. He's right, but it had a lot of great mechanics to it and an interesting follow-up to the actual story. So who knows? I'm very, very excited if they do do a sequel. Uh, not a prequel like in the 2011 film, um, which was, you know what, genuinely not that bad. But who knows? I'm just, I'm very trepidatious about the subject of the film having a sequel. But I kind of want one. I know, you're not supposed to wish for uh, continued uh, sequels that we've kind of stuck ourselves into as a civilization for media in the past 20 or so years. But I'd like a sequel to The Thing that does it justice. Uh, using a mix of practical and physical and CG effects. I think that would be the best. Not just pure CG. That hurts my eyes. Alrighty, so there we go. That is the news. And uh, if you have any news yourself, please visit our Facebook or our Twitter, Twitter page. Tweet it, tweet it. You can tweet at us. Or our Instagram and uh, suggest some things that you'd like to hear. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at literally just... Oh, sorry. It's at litjustfiller. And we'll just look us up on Facebook or Instagram with just the full name of the podcast. Alrighty, time to get into the good stuff. Cue musical bed. Nothing, see, uh, just, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there, don't worry. Alright, so today's subject is something that I've always been interested, considering I've got a background in media, news and radio. And it, of course, is none other than subliminal messaging. A thing that people are afraid of, a thing that uh, has... Uh, garnered a bit of uh, animosity and fear over the last 50, 60, 70 years or so since it first came up. And I'm going to be going a bit deep into some of the history of it and some modern examples of what people think is subliminal messaging. Um, I find it always fascinating, truthfully. The idea that there's some sort of hidden message that triggers something off in your brain and you do actions that you're unaware of, kind of like a Manchurian candidate type of thing. 
uh, a book I've never read. <laughs> but I feel like that, that's kind of what it is, right? It's something that triggers your brain with, uh, and make you do things without realizing. Um, but, okay, let's just, let's just get into it truthfully um, of what it actually is. Uh, so seeing subliminal messages will make you unknowingly take actions to follow instructions by a certain product or change your point of view on certain things. Knowing this, it makes sense why certain people, individuals, people who are influencing others really want this to actually take off. Um, and it's disgusting, truthfully, isn't it? Trying to force people to bend to your will, even if it's done through nefarious means, such as subliminal uh, images and thoughts. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines subliminal as inadequate to produce a sensation or a perception and existing or functioning below the threshold of consciousness. So yes, that's the, that's the idea of subliminal, basically. It's just below the thread of consciousness. You don't notice it, right? Um, subliminal advertising is uh, further defined as the action of calling something to the attention of the public, especially by paid announcements. In other words, you start to notice things without realizing and possibly want to buy them. It is uh, ruthless out there, what marketing people want you to do. And it's all a big weird way to make money for them at the cost of you. It's uh, quite awful. And this is why I have issues with subliminal messaging in general, because it, I really don't believe in it truthfully. Uh, the science is there to show that it's not really real. And uh, not only that, you've got how your brain processes information. It's all different based on what you're experiencing. For instance, if you're driving a car for a long trip and all of a sudden you forget the last 10 minutes of the drive and you're not really freaked out about it, but it just happens. Your brain has to process things in a certain way. Or like a typist who's not actually consciously thinking about typing. Um, it could also be how you react to danger. You automatically get out of the way from a fist being thrown. It's all instinctual. And certain people believe... Um, that's the whole point of subliminal messaging. It's to create new instincts in, per, in your mind. Uh, it's pseudosciencey stuff, truthfully. And the reason why it's studied so much is that people just want to make money on it. Uh, it's disgusting. But uh, in truth, it does exist in a weird way. On an unconscious level, touch seems to impart... For instance, a subliminal sense of caring and connection if it's done by another person. Um, and yeah, it's it's incredibly important uh, that these small little instinctual things that are done to us without us realizing these subliminal contexts and messages constantly happen is what makes us human. Um, and I'm going to, before we move on into the history of subliminal messaging from what we've experienced over the past roughly 80 odd years, is the single question what has been the most successful subliminal message? If you can answer that, it's not doing its job. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's look at the history. So this will not be absolutely concise, but it does cover a lot of the things that we've talked about, as well as a bit of the history of subliminal messaging and uh, through human society. In the 1940s, it was used in cartoons and news stories that were playing at the cinema in the USA with messages such as buy bonds flashing on the screen for an instant. It wasn't so much subliminal because, well, people took notice of it, obviously. In 1957, James Vickery, a marketing researcher, 
claimed that by flashing the words eat popcorn and drink Coca-Cola in a single frame during a movie increased the amount of sales for those products by around 25%-ish. Five years later, he admitted he had faked the study. And uh, this is where the myth comes from in truth. Um, And the myth, of course, being that it works. People out there, people I know, keep telling me that uh, subliminal advertising works. It doesn't. He passed on a lie. People took it hook, line and sinker. And it's existed as like a thought experiment since then, truthfully. And you've got a lot of weirdos that uh, believe, you know, old wives tales. That's basically what it is. Um, But what's upsetting is a lot of governments took note of it and uh, took note of the idea as well. You've got things like Operation Project Montauk and not Montauk, the uh, uh, all the weird stuff that... um, you know, the CIA, CIA did drug-influenced um, hysteria and all that type of stuff. Experimentation on human beings, not very cool. For the next 20 so uh, years, countless studies were conducted in unis and research agencies, all coming up with blanks on how to make, sub, uh, you know, subliminal messaging work for real. Thank God for that. Uh, in 1978, this is a weird one, the police broadcast a special message on a television station in Kansas in America, during a news report on the BTK killer, Bind, Torture, Kill. Well, a real nasty one, this one. In an effort to get him to turn himself in, the subliminal message included the text, Now Call the Chief, as well as a pair of glasses, as the coppers out there were thinking that um, one of the victims, I'm not going to give the name, uh, there was a pair of glasses lying upside down on her dresser, and they thought that maybe that there was some sort of um, connection with the killer, maybe he picked it up, And um, maybe the glasses would stir remorse in him. And of course, because subliminal messaging ain't really real, nothing happened. Uh, Let's move to the 90s. So we're jumping ahead. There's been countless studies, all with, uh, all basically proving nothing. In 1990, Judas Priest, remember that band, was sued for having a song with subliminal messages that caused a girl to commit suicide. This, of course, was dismissed by the court. Then in 1992, in one uh, in a study, participants viewed images of a person engaged in a normal daily activity. And this is when, in the 90s, thanks 90s, uh, well, the theory of subliminal messaging started to take a turn. After each image of um, viewing this person in normal activity, researchers quickly flashed a photograph. Half the viewers saw positive, uplifting stuff. The other half saw negative. Those who saw the negative message reported thinking of the photographed person in a more damaging light. They started thinking badly about them. What this means is our brains aren't wired for subliminal order, but emotions can be swayed. And that's what's scary. You start, like I said, I'm I'm not not a tinfoil hat type of person, but there's a lot of stuff in the media that constantly shows things in the negative and portraying things badly, and which kind of forces groupthink and herd mentality and um well it's it's awful it's all word of mouth zeitgeist stuff but before we move on to that weird subject let's keep going thanks to uh the cigarette ban and motorsport advertising this is also in the 90s uh companies like marlboro and benson and hedges had to get a little creative skirting around the edges of the law marlboro created what is ostensibly a barcode on the back of a red f1 car uh, so when it drives really, really fast, it creates a blurred image of that barcode, which kind of looks like the packet of Marlboros. Uh, it was disgusting. 
Benson and Hedges also proved to be as terrible as Marlboro by sponsoring a car as Bitten and Hisses with a snakeskin design on their cars, which is meant to sound like their actual brand. Thankfully, both were told not to pull these stunts again. And uh, good, because, you know, cigarette brands, who needs them? Then in 2006, there was a breakthrough. Not a good one, I feel. A study found that participants flashed an image of a brand name drink, uh, which was Lipton Iced Tea, were more likely to choose that brand to quench their thirst. So the, the beginning throes of actual thought on uh, subliminal messages started to kick in. Uh, the big issue is, though, is that, like once again, an instinctual thing, this association only held up if participants were already thirsty. So to actually force advertising onto people uh, subliminally, you'd need to actually make sure that they're in need of those things, which if you think about some sort of dystopian future, you're forcing people to feel a certain way and then force them to actually observe subliminal messages, you kind of maybe steer them to do things that you want. And that's rather scary to me. In 2007, a study uh, where researchers flashed students hidden words related or unrelated to intelligence, such as talent and grass, um, before a practice exam, those who saw intelligence word, intelligent words performed better on a midterm one to four days later. So it may gave, I think it gave confidence. But what those who just saw just generic words like grass, nothing happened. Uh, that same year, Australia's Channel 10 was pulled up by the program Media Watch program on ABC for their broadca broadcast of the ARIA Awards. I have no idea what happened to there. There's not much information I could find. I'm just very, very curious. But in truth, it may have just been a single play during the program of the song Fergalicious, which, truthfully, is one too many. Uh, and finally, to cap off the bit of the history, in recent studies have revealed that when forced to view supposed subliminal messaging, activity levels change in the amygdala, which processes emotion, the insula, which involves your consciousness and awareness, the hippocampus, which involves processing memories, and the visual cortex. So there we go. Just kind of little nerve endings inside fire when experiencing these subliminal things. So that's a bit of history there of subliminal messaging. I'm not a fan personally myself. I think it's all bunk and, uh, well, who knows. But there's a lot of movies out there and television as well as music that we're going to cover right now uh, to keep up with our theme of the show. Literally just filler. We like to talk about pop culture stuff. In movies, let's, let's have a look. The Exorcist is one of the more famous ones. Supposedly, it features subliminal messages throughout it, which I think is completely full of crap. There are faces throughout the film of Pazuzu, you know, he pops his big googly white face up in a few uh, scenes throughout the movie. But if memory serves me correct, these were only added in the 90s director's cut of the film. And they weren't in the original release 20 years before. So these awful jump scares is what they literally are. Um, seeing the they're, they're just jump scares. William Friedkin, you hack. Uh, they're not scary. They're not uh, anything. They're not even subliminal. They're liminal. They're, they're, they are literally in your face. It is a face that appears and you go, oh damn, that looked like that big monster Pazuzu. It, it's goofy. Uh, one of my favorite films, Josie and the Pussycat, is all about subliminal messaging, where the US government is controlling trends by inserting messages into popular music. Um, the, the, and they even 
pull a joke at the end of the film. The word Josie and the Pussycats is the best movie ever are then spoken rapidly in voiceovers and displayed quickly on the screen, followed by the words join the army in small letters below it. It is one of my favorite films. I don't disagree with this message. Let's continue. <laughs> the film, uh, the sequel to Firefly, Serenity, um, has subliminal messages in videos, which makes the character River Tam go berserk because she's been brainwashed to be that way. Kind of like a Manchurian candidate, as I've mentioned before. Uh, how do I feel about Firefly? It's a thing. It's a show. It's kind of okay. I'm not, the, I'm not the biggest fan. I enjoyed it when it came out, but I moved on with my life. Others haven't. The X-Files has an episode dedicated to the idea, because of course they do, in a small town plagued by killings where the perpetrators are influenced by messages appearing on ATM machines and other electronic devices. X-Files will cover literally anything slightly weird, so if you've figured out some sort of cryptid or ghost story from the past, I guarantee you the X-Files has been there, done that. Let's look at music now. And uh, this one is synonymous with the whole theory of... Uh, well, a lot of stuff. We'll get into it, but it's backmasking. Basically, recording a message and playing it backwards over a song. Simple as that. It does nothing because our brains don't understand messages spoken in reverse. Obviously, we're not a bunch of robots that can analyze audio back and forth. Um, it is only a joke that people have included in their recordings. But it's also a huge uh, thing for conspiracy theories and Satanism. So let's get into that. It was one of the catalysts for the satanic panic that occurred in the 80s, where conservative nutjobs thought Satanism was taking hold through the 70s and 80s. You know what? It's true. One of my hobbies, role-playing, used to be considered one of those um, satanic panic things, where people would all of a sudden get taken over by the devil for playing role-playing. It's such a silly thing to think. There are hundreds of examples, mostly just silly or rude messages. Uh, so instead of going through all of them, let's just look at some of the more interesting ones, such as Pink Floyd's songs. Uh, Pink Floyd's song. Is it Pink Floyd or Pink Floyd with an S? I don't know, because it's a group, isn't it? The song is Empty Spaces, and a message can be heard in the background, in reverse, of course. Hello, Looker. Congratulations. You've just discovered the secret message. Please send your answer to Old Pink, care of the funny farm, Chalfont. So the big issue with this, of course, is the conspiracy theories. Many people believe this is a reference to former vocalist Sid Barrett, who suffered a breakdown some years before. Another big famous one, of course, is the, uh, what is it, Paul McCartney's Dead? I'm not going to go into that. That's way too well known. Um, Slayer, Hell Awaits, uh, their song from the second, their second LP, with over a minute of backmasking through it, where it features a mob of demonic voices declaring, join us, before a dark voice yells, welcome back. Now, you know, this is actually a complete reply to the satanic panic that happened at the time. Uh, pretty funny stuff, truthfully. Soundgarden, who doesn't love Soundgarden? They released a song called 665, the one number short of the number of the beast. Scary. Uh, so throughout it, this is this is a perfect um, example against, once again, the satanic panic, as their message is, Santa, I love you, baby, my Christmas king. Santa, you're my king. I love you, Santa baby. Got what I need. Hail Santa indeed. So you might even call it the satanic panic. Hmm? No one? Where are you going? Don't, don't stop the recording. Uh, another weird thing that is close to subliminal messages is, of course, embedded images into songs. This is a phenomenon that I've, I've been in love with. I, I do a bit of sound engineering as well. 
Uh, and this has existed since the late 90s, and uh, I've even done it myself a few times. And if I told you what I put into a song, I would, uh, well, be very embarrassed, let's just say that. So for f- I, I love it. It's, it's only done for fun. There are no evil intentions behind it. Uh, basically, use a program that inputs an image into the spectrogra- spectrograph, not a spectrograph, of a song. This is the weird heat signatures of music, so you can find certain peaks and frequencies. Uh, so let's go over a few of them. Um, Affix Twin is probably the most famous with a face in the song Equation. And then, of course, they're one of their more famous songs, Window Licker, featuring an, a spiral. It's uh, rather pretty. The indie darling game Fez, which released in 2012, featured a bunch of songs by artist Disasterpiece that have embedded, embedded images ranging from eyes, smiley faces, historical figures, and, of course, John Locke from Lost. Nine Inch Nails has a big, creepy black hand that reaches down in their song, My Violent Heart. And my favorite, and this is what brought me attention to the phenomenon, is a song by the Venetian Snares called Look. And it's from an album called Songs About My Cat. And would you believe it? It just features nothing but cat pictures throughout a, throughout that song itself. It's rather lovely. Um, and I'm in, Okay, before we get to our conclusion, uh, I do have to remind everyone, please check out Twitter. Uh, it is at uh, lit just filler. We've also got a Facebook page as well as an Instagram. Just look us up. Literally just filler. Search for us. I'm going to be posting on there questions, the memes. I doubt I'll be doing that. I don't like memes. Uh, and a bunch of other things to make myself feel slightly important more than I do. All right. So finally, is subliminal messaging real? Yes, but not in the way science fiction, crazy religious people and advertisers believe. It's more an emotional and instinctual thing, subtle to the point that we become swayed by pheromones, chemical reactions and tactile sensations. It's human contact and skin and people who influence you doing certain things and you wanting to be a part of that. Uh, It's more of a mental and social thing. That is subtle uh, subliminal messaging for our bodies and our minds. It is not advertising it is not forcing us to think a certain way. It's not music played backwards and words. It's none of that junk. It is what it is. Human beings uh, exist together. And I think that's lovely. And I love the fact that this is something that marketers can't latch onto. Changing our instincts. Screw those guys. Uh, or maybe, on the flip side, we've all been programmed to think it doesn't exist. Because our smart people with our big IQs... We all think that we're smarter than everything, and who knows, maybe the uh, marketers out there or the secret Illuminati government who are really pulling our strings uh, are making it so that we don't think that subliminal messaging works to avoid uh, conflict of their nefarious goals. I don't know. Just remember, okay? So here's before we finish the episode. I'd just like to remember uh, you to remember specifically this question that I asked earlier. What has been the most successful subliminal message? Think about it, right? And if you notice a, sub- a subliminal message, in truth, it's not doing its job. I'm Calum. This is literally just filler for another week. I believe Rachel will be back next week. If not, I'm going to kick her butt. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have a wonderful day, whatever you're doing. The end. <laughs> I don't know how to end these. Bye.